Mac Power Users, Episode 33, Workflows with Andy Anotko. Hello, everybody. It's David Sparks again. Along with me today is Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie? I'm doing great, David. Welcome back from vacation. It was excellent. Excellent. I'll tell you about it sometime. But uh, I want to get on with our guest today. We were fortunate to put together a special guest for a Workflows episode. Uh, Andy Anotko, the uh, technology columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times and the knower of all things Mac. Andy, <laughs> uh, welcome to the Mac Power Users. Uh, knower of some things Mac. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Katie. Thanks, David. Well, I have to admit, I am, I'm just a big Andy Anotko nerd fan. Uh, whenever you write something, Andy, I just can't wait to read it, even if it's something I'm not interested in. I love your writing style and the joy you bring to what you do. And it just makes it really fun for us readers to, to see what you're up to next. Well, that's a, that's a nice thing to say. Uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to have a job like mine and not enjoy what you do. So I, I do have that going for me. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we talked a little bit to you offline about the, the workflows episodes. What we do is we like to talk to uh, Mac users who get a lot done on their Macs and find out, you know, what important work do you do and sometimes what not important work do you do, but how do you get around doing it? And, uh, you know, what are your favorite apps? Um, okay. Uh, well, certainly the most important one is I think one that both of us use, uh, which is Scrivener. Uh, and I, I'm amazed by how much this one word processor has totally uh, just in, in, in the space of two weeks, when I first launched it totally changed the way that I do my business. Uh, because I mean, no wonder really, because, uh, Scrivener is a word processor that is absolutely expressly fine-tuned to the progress is the process of taking your thoughts and turning them into words. Uh, so it's very much a 21st century word processor in that way because uh, Microsoft Word, which was the word processor that I and I think most everybody was use, were using uh, for 10, 15 years with the Macintosh, it's really just super duper typesetting typewriter type of software. It's designed to at its at its core to design pages that are going to be printed or, or displayed in some way. It's really not focused just towards writing something that uh, just creating a text file or just a simple formatted file that's then going to go out and become a website or become a newspaper column or become a chapter of a book. Uh, and so Scrivener just lets you get rid of all the distractions and just gives you all the only extra tools and extra features it has are tools for organizing data and organizing research and getting your the project together and organ and finding out what the form these thoughts should take before you start writing. Uh, so I, I was using Word for, for just so long that I never thought anything would ever bust me out of it. But once again, after two weeks of trying out Scrivener, uh, I really haven't read, written anything of real significance and anything other than that for the past two or three years. Now, you do a lot of different types of writing, whether it's um, you've done several books. I know you do, obviously, the the column for the newspaper. You do quite extensive blog posts. I'm sure you do other types of writing as well. Is is Scrivener the end-all and be-all, or do you use different types of tools for different types of writing? Really, Scrivener is it, uh, chiefly because I can build an entire world for every single project that I'm doing. Uh, for instance, every single uh, Chicago Sun-Times column I've written for the past couple of years is now inside this one binder, and that's where everything lives. Whenever, uh, if, if it's a major review for something like the iPad, 
uh, I've got a little document folder inside that binder that has every bit of research I've done, transcripts of every interview that I've done, links to re research that I found online, every draft, every misstep, uh, every sketch of notes uh, is in that thing, as well as just this dinky little 500 word uh, piece that I wrote for the print edition uh, off the cuff about something that happened about 45 minutes before I started writing, but needed to be in the paper 45 minutes after that. Uh, and there are binders like that for every single thing that I do, whether it's a magazine column, uh, a book that I'm writing about the Mac or the iPad, or all the different short stories and a couple of different novels that I've written. Uh, it's just easy to get your head into a different space just by turning to a different notebook. The only thing that I use on the outside of that, at least on the Macintosh, is Omni Outliner, which I just seem to, my, my mind is just too hardwired into the Omni Outliner uh, workflow. Uh, Scrivener also has very good outlining tools, but Omni Outliner is the app that tries to be the best outliner you can get for any different, uh, any different uh, operating system or any different machine. Uh, so I always find that if it's something that's complicated enough that I do need to spend a couple of days doing nothing but just sort of pounding out the 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 rough shape of something that I need to write, it seems to be that Omni Outliner is the best way to to put that sort of stuff. And it's also a catch-all for different uh, snippets of text or snippets of thought or a bunch of uh, URLs or or links that don't have an organization yet. But as soon as I get enough of them in that same file, a, a sort of system or a sort of logic to them is going to present itself. And uh, that's why I turned to Omni Outliner because it makes it so easy to just slide those different pieces around uh, and put them in the way that they should have been in the first place had I had the wit or intelligence <laughs> to see the pattern before it really formed. Yeah, the beauty of Omni Outliner is it takes anything you throw at it. Absolutely, it it doesn't. It's uh, I even I use it for project management. I use it for deadlines. Uh, I use it for office organization because it does something that's uh, these complicated getting things done sort of project management app just don't do. That just it, Omni Outliner will do. Will 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 let you work with it however you want to work with it. However you imagine an organizer should work out. It will let you do that, even if you don't want to. Even if it, you don't really have any idea of what order anything should go into. Again, uh, you start off with just by listing things, and then you suddenly realize that oh, actually, these are forming into categories, aren't there? So now you can add a column that has a pop-up list of different to-dos and different priorities, and now you can add another column to do this other to, to track this other metric. And then let's add a, a list of checkboxes. That's something you do like two weeks later uh, as you're actually making progress as you go. Uh, I do a lot of Apple script and I do a lot of automator. And so oftentimes the last iteration of this, <laughs> of, of this solution is going to be a bunch of, uh, Apple scripts or automator workflows that gets information out of that outline and then does interesting things with them, like turning them into iCal appointments or turning them into reminders that go to my iPhone, uh, and stuff like that. So I, 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 it's, it's one of those rare applications that's just dead simple, uh, out of the box but you can make it as simple or as complicated as you want it to be. Now, you know, we did a whole show on Scrivener, so I'm not going to let you get off that one <laughs> just yet. I'm not done with it. <laughs> the, uh, you said a couple of interesting things in your Scrivener discussion. So you put together project binders for different parts of your, your writing life. Um, now, do you keep all of that in one big file, or do you, for instance, keep all your Sun-Times articles in one file and, you know, a book in a separate file? How, how do you go about doing that? They're all in separate files. Uh, yes. Each, I believe, the Scrivener's taxonomy is to call a Scrivener file 
a binder. Uh, that's how I come to think of it. Uh, it's, if, if nothing else, it just helps for my own you know, mental user interface. The idea that I'm closing down this binder with SunTime stuff and I'm opening up this binder with Macworld stuff in it because I'm not really making any progress on the feature article that I was trying to get written today uh, for the SunTimes. But maybe if I move to this other project, some other uh, more, more useful uh, work is going to result. Yeah, I like that. I, you know, I've just started a, a really big writing project. I've got, I got 80,000 words now in a Scrivener binder, I guess for, uh, I always just call them a file, but uh, <laughs> it's it, a file, right? It is amazing that when you have a project of that size, because in the, in the past, I'm, a, you know, I'm an attorney by day. So I, I write a lot of briefs and legal documents and, but you know, they never really get that, that large, the 80,000 word type of document, but it's, it's amazing how quickly you can get to the very granule nitty gritty of some small point that you want to work on and just kind of to the exclusion of everything else, the way Scrivener is designed. And uh, I have more appreciation for it now that I'm getting towards the end of the big project than I, I had even before I started it. Uh, I just think it's a remarkable app. Yeah. And you can tell that it was written by a writer uh, because it just has that sort of you know smell around it. It was just designed around some someone has to push out words uh, every, every single hour of every single day. Uh, if it's, uh, the, the, I was just never, uh, there was never any sort of an app that ever came close to it, especially for someone like me who has to write column after column after column, week after week after week, uh, a regular problem that I was having before then was just trying to figure out, you know, you know, what'd be great. How about if I do, uh, do a column on cloud storage? Wait a minute. Didn't I just do a column on cloud storage? No, it wasn't the past few weeks and just not knowing, okay, what have I written over the past eight or 10 months? That might be, uh, that might be like 40, 50, 60 different pieces. Or if there's a phrase that comes to mind or an allegory that might explain something, I just need to know, oh, that's kind of familiar. Did I use that before? Or is that just something I thought of before, but haven't written before? Uh, it's an easy way to take all these different pieces of text and sort of treat them as one different search target treat that as one uh, major thing that you're working on. Uh, it was also pretty cool to, uh, it was only recent, uh, fairly recently that I realized that, uh, gee, I've got these you know, 200, 300 columns here. I wonder how many words I've written for the Sun-Times in the past two years. <laughs> That's a very easy thing to do, like a very quick selection all, then do a word count and realize that, ooh, that's a lot more than I ever thought. I, when I was 18, I never thought I'd, read, I'd re write that many words in my entire life. And here's what I did over the past two or three years. Holy yeah, sometimes cats. you ask those questions and at the end you wonder how wise it was if you should answer or not. Well, it, 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 at the very least, it gives you something you can actually interact with the word. Pro the, you can actually interact with the application and get numbers and look at things. And it actually looks like you're actually working when actually what you're doing is goofing off and trying not to write. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah, you know, it's got, it, when we did the show with Merlin, he had made the point that, you know, uh, with Scrivener, it's it's very, uh, you can spend a lot of time, you know, tuning it and adjusting the, the draft status and different things on the various pieces. But um, I really didn't find it that much of an intrusion. You know, I just used the no. pieces if I need it. Uh, and it's interesting in, in some way because we all make fun of Microsoft Word because it does everything and it's got, you know, a button, this lever and a switch and every feature you can ever think of is in it. And, and that's true with the layout stuff, but the writing tools, I find that Scrivener always comes up with some new tool that I never realized it even had. And uh, when I do need it, I just start looking around and, and sure enough, I already own it and it's in the application I'm writing in 99% of the time anyway. Yeah, I, I, but I, I have to disagree with that comment, uh, if that's accurate, but uh, what Merlin was saying. 
uh, one of the things that attracted me to Scrivener was the fact that if all you want to do is bash out text, uh, you can turn off, so not even have to turn things off, you just ignore things and you can just simply write. Uh, I, even if you just to click one button here and put it into full screen mode and you essentially just have a rolling typewriter that you cannot get any simpler than that. Uh, I, I've been pretty pleased by the fact that every time that I go out looking for a secondary tool, a different application to take care of a very specific sort of task, like the task of listening to an audio recording of an interview and producing a transcription. Uh, I looked at a couple different tools before I, I don't know, well, what the heck, I'll just look in the manual for Scrivener and well, what do you know, there is actually a transcription tool that is designed specifically to get you get through a, a half hour long audio file and type what you're hearing. Uh, and that was wonderful how well they hid that feature because it's not something you're going to use every single day probably uh, and so there's no reason to have parts of that interface intruding on the experience of just writing and i don't think merlin minute is a dig against the app more as just a, a warning to writers not to get hung up on the little oh, stuff yeah. and just get wasting. andy i want to hear about how the ipad has worked into your writing workflow um especially given the fact that Scrivener and some of these other applications aren't available on the iPad. Uh, but before we do, we need to take a quick break and uh, hear from our first sponsor, Smile. Uh, Smile on my Mac has recently changed their name to Smile. You can find them now at smilesoftware.com. And uh, to do this, they are celebrating with a special discount for Mac Power user listeners. So stay tuned. But we're going to do something we don't normally do and play a brief audio ad from Smile explaining the change. Smile on my Mac wants you to know we're not just about Macs anymore. Now we've got Text Expander Touch for the iPhone and iPad. With Text Expander Touch, you can insert snippets with a quick shortcut instead of typing out the same thing over and over. And now that we're not just about Macs, we have a new name, Smile. We're still developing great Mac software like PDF Pen and Disk Label. We still offer fast, friendly customer support. We'll keep you smiling on your Mac and now on your iPhone and iPad. Smile, a new name, but still the same great company. Learn more about everything we do at smilesoftware.com. Smile, software that's just right. To celebrate the name change, they've got a great deal exclusively for Mac Power user listeners. Now, you've got to hurry on this because it expires on September 6th. So 20% off any item in their store using the coupon code MPUAUG10. That's MPUAUG10 in all capital letters. And it does not apply to upgrades or the productivity suit. Well, that'd be cool if you had a productivity suit it does <laughs> i think you'd have to pay full price for that. i do have a productivity suit actually how about we try it this way it does not apply to upgrades or the productivity suite of software yeah, So remember that mpu for mac power users august 10th so mpu aug 10 go in and get your 20 percent discount they got great software pdf pen text expander we've talked a lot about this stuff in the show's past i love just about everything they do over there and you can get 20% off now just for a short time. So go check it out. And thanks as always to Smile on My Mac for their support of the podcast. So Andy, when you're on the road and you need to write, how do you do that? Uh, it's interesting because I really couldn't predict how the iPad was going to integrate itself into my work. Uh, my uh, 
if there's a day in which I was planning on doing some writing pre-iPad, I would, of course, take my MacBook with me because the MacBook is the, the, the fulcrum of my entire business and really my entire creative day. Uh, I do have a couple other Macs and a couple other PCs in the house, but the one machine that runs it all is the MacBook. It's not the big desktop. Uh, the uh, on, on those days when I would have to, uh, I'm, I'm leaving the house. I finished a column. I'm leaving the house for four or five hours, but I don't know if an editor is going to get in touch with me and ask for big rewrites. I would always take a little netbook with me, a little Asus netbook with me, uh, because it's not a very good computer, but it's good enough that I can actually bash out some text. And I, I can also read my news and get my email on it. Um, I thought that the iPad would at best sort of just replace that netbook where now I would have an ebook reader that, I'm leaving the day because I've worked for I worked for seven hours right out right jumped up right out of bed and did seven hours worth of work. And I'm going out for three or four hours. I can just go out, get a sandwich, go to go to the bagel place with the Wi-Fi, just enjoy and relax. Uh, and now I'll have now I'll have a book reader that can also have a keyboard. And if I need to do some writing, again, uh, usually typified by an editor who has an issue with something and wants me to write something uh, uh, impromptu, uh, then, okay, in that case, I will, if pressed, use the iPad for that. But I'm surprised to find that I'm using it for more and more real writing when I'm on the road um, to, the ex- to, to the extent that if I'm going to be away for just a couple of days, I will look for any reason not to take the, the laptop with me. Uh, the the, the the default position is going to be, why can't I get this done with just an iPad and just my little Apple Bluetooth keyboard? Uh, because it doesn't do everything that a notebook does. But then again, usually when I travel, I don't need to do everything that I would get on my notebook. Uh, I just need to bash out my text. Sometimes I need to finish a column or work on a little bit of a project. Uh, and the iPad, especially with the Bluetooth keyboard, is certainly uh, more than good enough for that. Uh, even the on-screen keyboard is surprisingly good. I wouldn't want to – I wouldn't. I don't think I would intentionally – write a thousand words on it but there have been times when you know the sandwich just doesn't want to get eaten because i'm still sort of thinking about something i want to do when i get back home and sure enough i wind up writing five six seven eight hundred words just on the on-screen keyboard uh, and i get a lot of work done get most you have to get get the whole spine of what i need to do later done and that wouldn't have been possible if it weren't for the ipad now let's back up a step because i know you do you know most of your writing starts in scrivener but obviously scrivener doesn't have an ipad app um, so at some point, it's got to get out of Scrivener. It's got to get to the editor for the editor to tell you, hey, I need you to make a change to this. Um, or it's got to get in some other format before you work on it in the iPad. So w- what is the intermediary method that you use there? Right now, my favorite method is is Dropbox uh, because it's the glue that binds all my computers together. And the integration with the iPad is so good uh, that it can actually reach its tendrils into the iPad as well. Uh, the Dropbox app can be used to send any file uh, that's inside my Dropbox to any application that can deal with that type of a file. So that's an easy way to take a text file and then start bashing around with it, then, uh, then round trip it uh, back into mail, uh, or, or, uh, or at least as a link that where an editor can, uh, can then download it. Uh, but now there are more sophisticated programs like uh, Plaintext, which I think is another app that Dave is using too. It's, a, it's in beta right now. Uh, and it, it, it's, a, it's a text editor for the iPad that is not only very, very simple, but also it uses Dropbox as its innate storage system. It's just everything that you're writing is being saved, not necessarily to local iPad storage, but directly to your Dropbox. 
So anything that you've edited and you've edited from there uh, on your desktop is there for editing when you launch the app on your iPad and anything that changes that you made on your iPad are automatically there uh, when you return to your MacBook or to your desktop later on. Uh, round tripping is still a bit of a problem. Uh, it's not as easy as it would be on an Android device where you can just simply get access, get access to the whole file system from any application that you want and just save a file attachment. But it's easy enough to sort of uh, talk to your editor and make sure that they're going to send it to you in a form that your iPad apps can handle and then find a way to get that back to them uh, as an email attachment or just as a link to a Dropbox file. I really think that the, the, the one of the essential features of any iPad user is going to be Dropbox or some other muscular cloud storage service because it truly does transform the nature of the iPad. Okay, well, we just uh, restarted Skype, so I uh, apologize for the audio quality issues, but uh, let's jump back in it. So, Andy, you were talking about how kind of round-tripping through the iPad, um, getting text out of Scrivener, but what are you exporting that text? Once you're done with it in Scrivener, you're exporting it into some kind of format to get rid of it. Are you just exporting it as plain text, or how are you shipping that off to your editors or whoever for whatever the next step is? Mostly plain text. Um, I have very few editors that uh, of uh, my uh, usually things that need that kind of like an instantaneous sort of interaction. Uh, that's obviously a newspaper sort of thing. That's not or, or an online sort of thing where the the a word file actually would create more complications and more delays than simply plain text. Right. Uh, my editor for the print edition. It's the easiest thing in the world to drop into their publishing system is just a plain text file. And the editor of the online edition, obviously, it's going to be HTML file uh, or, a, a again, plain text dropped into another window. Uh, so that's the easiest way to round trip things. Um, I'm. It's going to be interesting because my next book, the editor is also a big Scrivener fan. Mm -hmm. So this might be the first time that I'm writing a book not just with Scrivener not just the entire first draft of Scrivener, at which point it all gets exported as Word files, uh, and then we work from Word from there on. This might be the first time that uh, not only our, does it remain a Scrivener binder from start to finish, but also it lives on my Dropbox account, and my editor has just 24-7 access to it uh, as we go along. So that's, that's going to be an interesting test of the 21st century, I think. Well, you know, what? one hiccup you may have there is tracking changes, I guess. If your editor makes changes, I don't think Scrivener has a way to really track those. Oh, as, oh, as if I'm going to make any mistakes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> silly, silly man. You know, uh, we, we jumped over. You were talking about how you use the iPad and, and Dropbox. I've been using a slightly different solution for the same thing. I use a Simple Note, which is a, a web service, and then they have an app on the iPad and the iPhone. And and then there's an app on the Mac called Notational, Notational Velocity yeah. that works really well with it. And what I do is I work in Scrivener, and a lot of times I can, uh, I can copy a, a chunk of a, a Scrivener file into a Notational Velocity uh, text file, and then I can have it on the road. And so long as I think ahead, I'm okay. And the other thing I do a lot is when I'm on the road, I'll, I'll, I'll write new text on the road. One of the things I find is that uh, the unitasking nature of the iPad is good for my writing because I can't have, you know, Twitter and all these other things open at once. When I have my Simple Note app open, all I've got is a, a, a cursor, you know, blinking cursor, you know, mocking me, waiting for me to write. And that really helps in a lot of ways because it forces me to sit there and write. Um, yeah, well, there, there are ways around that. I use my iPhone as my distraction screen when I'm writing on my iPad. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. <laughs> See, I knew, I knew I'd learn something here. <laughs> I'm just full of useful tips like that, aren't I? 
I just did a trip up in the British Columbia for eight days. I just brought my iPad and and I wrote about 10,000 words while I was gone and no worries, you know, it was great. And then when I got back, I put them all into Scrivener and, and started, you know, editing and working on them there. But I, I'm with you. I think that the iPad is a great writing solution. And while they haven't got the um, sophistication of some of the apps on the Mac, uh, as long as you, you're realistic about what you want to do with it, it can be a very productive tool in the, in the lineup. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the lack of distraction is going to be an option. But the idea that I have an absolute dead solid 10 hours of battery life on this thing. Uh, I My uh, netbook was pretty good. It was about a six-hour battery. But I still had to be a little bit vigilant and a little bit disciplined about making sure that as soon as I got home, just by default, plug it in to make sure that there'll be a full charge on it the next time you want to take it out. With the iPad, it's almost as good as a pad of paper. So okay, what are since you- we're I'm sorry, Katie. I, I was going to say, what are you doing with your netbook these days? Is it staying at home? It pretty much stays at home. I'm thinking about, I'm trying to find a new use for it. Uh, I'm thinking Paperwork? about uh, just re- reconfiguring it as a media server uh, or test it. I need to, t- or testing it out. I'm, I'm here in the, 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 the broadcast studio part of the house. Uh, and for now, every time I'm doing like a, a Skype or especially a video Skype, I need to bring my MacBook in here uh, to host uh, to host the, the thing. I'm thinking about just sort of screwing it down onto the onto this little table here and just making it my my Skype machine. Oh, I think you should uh, run a light board on it. You know, <laughs> like you know the disco ball. Get the whole thing going. That's it's kind of unfortunate. One of the I should mention that uh, the uh, the netbook that I was using before that was a Dell Mini 9 uh, running Mac OS 10. I, I hackintoshed it. There's a way you can install the Mac OS on certain models of Windows netbooks. Uh, and it's almost, it's almost too nice not to do something with it now uh, because it is running Snow Leopard. Uh, it runs it pretty darn fast. Uh, and I just, it, it just kills me that this, this really useful, tiny, tidy little thing is just on a shelf in my office doing nothing but looking pretty. That's funny though, because you, so if you've got it running Snow Leopard, obviously you've got Scrivener on it. So in some ways that's better than what you have with the iPad, but you still can't leave the iPad home. Yeah. It, well, it's that, that's an interesting uh, distinction. The, the reason why I hackintoshed it in the first place was because I define a useful road computer at the time as something that could run Scrivener and a, and a WordPress, a Scrivener and a, and a, and a web browser and my mail client, and that's it. It doesn't matter if it, it can or cannot run anything other than that. But but what really surprised me was that uh, the, the apps that are available on the on the iPad are muscular enough that it changed my definition of what I really needed. Uh, it got a, it made it a little bit more sophisticated. I thought that what I needed was a copy of Scrivener that ran on this device. What I really need is just an easy way to get stuff from my MacBook copy of Scrivener into the iPad, into the whatever device it is and back out again. And because it's very, very simple for me to just do a save as uh, into Dropbox uh, from my from my MacBook and then just pick up my iPad and do nothing <laughs> because as soon as I, I, I connect to Dropbox again, I'll be able to simply uh, access it right through the iPad. Yeah, that's, that's good enough for me. Right you tool for the job. It's kind of funny how all, we all take this for granted. Remember how hard syncing was just like two years ago? Well, how hard syncing was before Dropbox. Yeah, but I mean, the the whole world has changed with syncing. I mean, it used to be like, you know, you had to throw salt over your shoulder and get the right thumbstick. And it it was it was nuts. And and now it's so easy. It's it's just great. But since we're geeking out on writing the last piece of this writing bit, what keyboard are you driving? 
Uh, I use the uh, Logitech uh, Nuvi Wave, I believe it's called. I'm not sure if they're, st- they're even still making it anymore. Uh, it's a really good, comfortable, not even a full-stroke keyboard, but a, a, a very premium keycap, a key switch technology, wireless and yet not uh, wireless premium keyboard, but not stupidly expensive. You can get them on Amazon still for like 50 or 60 or 70 bucks. Really? I, yeah. could, I could not do the wireless keyboard. I was dropping keystrokes. Really? How fast do you type? 110. Okay. You, you know what? Do you have an AM radio station inside the house? I must. I've I've got That's, lots to that'll do. That'll do it. Check 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 the walls. The mice might be broadcasting. It could be. And also, you know, different keyboards. Um, you know, there's a logic inside the keyboards, and if certain key combinations, you know, some keys are be- some keyboards are better with that logic than others. And I know some keyboards. I've had keyboards in the past that don't type well fast. Yeah, that was actually but, the one I tried was the Logitech Wave. Uh, Mm-hmm. Oh, but the weird, but the weird thing is that the the keyboard that I use most often is of course the one that's built into the MacBook because yeah. it it is the center of everything that I do. Yeah, and, and you then, just use the one MacBook, right? You don't, or no? You, do you have an iMac as well? Um, I have three different Macs in the house. Uh, uh, the primary one is the MacBook because it's got a half terabyte drive in there, and that's the one that has everything that's important to me. It's the, it's my main storage for email. It's my main storage for everything that I've written over the past couple of years. Uh, it's all, all my most critical apps are on there too. The iMac is chiefly used for the sort of apps that require a lot of storage or where I don't necessarily want to have to shut things down in order to free up CPU cycles in order to get things done. Uh, so for instance, things like uh, video editing and final cut, uh, that's a lot of storage. I need to have like the Drobo uh, cooked up to it and lots of different storage. And also there, t- you know how it is. If you're, if you've been doing research for a couple of days and you have like a million different Safari windows on there, some of them have some sort of a JavaScript thing going on. That's going to just totally brick the entire experience. And it's just, there's nothing, there's, there's nothing more frustrating than when you know that you got 20 minutes before you have to do a Skype call and you sit down and you're getting that spinning beach ball and you know that, Okay, because of Safari screwing up, I'm going to have to shut down and restart or kill all this work that I've been doing, or rather all the, all these tabs and all these windows that I've been sort of preserving just to make sure that I can do this conference call in the next 10 minutes. Ah, dang it. So for that reason, uh, it's, it's good to have at least one uh, you know, one monument to, to simplicity and, 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 and efficiency uh, somewhere inside my house. Now, Andy, you because I'm one of your many online stalkers, I've heard you or read you talk about how your Mac is called Lilith, right? Is that the like name of Lilith, your Mac? the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth? Yes. Is, is that a story you can share? Uh, it's there's there's really not much of a story to it. It's just that uh, I uh, my my first MacBook, my, my first portable Macintosh was a PowerBook 100, like the first one that they came out with. Granted, it was like a year and a half after they released it, and we're remaindering them to to Costco, but it was the first one. Uh, and I was really liking it a lot. And it occurred to me that, gee, I wonder if I wonder if I should like give it a name because it is the it is the the machine. Even back then, this is the center of my computing life. This is like what I'm carrying around everywhere and doing everything with. And it just occurred to me, oh, its its name is Lilith. I thought, okay. Okay, it's, it's the name's Lilith. Then the second, then you know, you, you replace it with a new one, like a year and a half, two years later. And I realized that if BB King can have twenty-eight guitars named Lucille, I can have twenty-eight different portable Macintoshes called Lilith. And so, just as a design, as a designation, and also as a little bit of tradition, uh, 
every the the, the Macintosh that the, the portable Macintosh that's the primary Mac in the house, the one that I'm always carrying around everywhere, and there's never more than one of these is always called Lilith, uh, and it's 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 sort of it's it's as I, it's not the it's it's not a, a a totemistic sort of thing. It's more it's it's more of a designation than anything else. It's more of a title uh, because there are times when. Uh, I know that uh, that the current Lilith is kind of on its last legs because maybe it's got a dead key or the the DVD drive has stopped working or the battery only lasts forty five minutes or something, and I find a good deal on the on a, on a newer model, so I buy a new MacBook. But that new one doesn't become Lilith, even though even if I'm temporarily working on both of them, like if I'm in the middle of a book project, I'll stick with the old one until I'm done with that, so I don't lose anything in the transition and. It's that the title transfers only when this magical moment happens when I realize that, okay, I'm, I'm now instinctively turning to this newer one rather than the older one. And so now with this so Lilith 8 becomes Lilith number 9. Lilith 8 goes onto a shelf uh, on my bookcase uh, with, uh, no kidding, every single other Lilith that I've ever owned because it's the one Mac that's it's too personal for me to give away, uh, both with the disgusting number of arm hairs and stuff that are embedded in the keyboard and also you know the stuff that's on the hard drive um as a matter of fact i think the best the best thing i can say about the ipad uh is that uh i sort of gave it sort of a you know you have to, you have to name it in itunes to so that it can identify it for applications and stuff like that and i gave it sort of like a placeholder name for several months until a couple of weeks ago when i realized when its true role in the organization became clear and so i docked it went to iTunes and changed its name to Lil as in a smaller version of Lilith. And that's literally the truth. That's literally the role that it, that it performs. That's cute. Well, I have to admit my iPad is named Dizzy. <laughs> I was afraid it was going to be Frasier or something. <laughs> no. Well, the, 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 it's, I, I, I can only, I think the, I originally became aware of the name Lilith and the history behind it, uh, reading an old Sandman comic. Oh. And the, what, there wasn't, I, I wish I could say that I sat down and tried to, no, actually, I'm, I should probably be pleased that I can't say that I sat down and said, what am I going to name my computer now? It must be something mythical. And it was just popped into my head. Uh, but then when I, you know, sort of remembered that, oh, well, Lilith is mythological being that roams the earth spawning brand new demons with which to torment humanity. I mean, I've never been very, very proud of the. At that time, I was never very proud of the things that I wrote while I was in a hotel room. So I thought that, okay, that's probably very apt. It's Lilith is a machine that I use to craft new demons with which to torment humanity. Good. Done. All the papers. Yeah, I don't know if it makes me a nerd or not, but I've been naming my technology for years. <laughs> they all, I name all mine after jazz musicians. So I've got Dizzy and Monk and Bird and so iPhone, whatever. None of them actually have the act. So, so which one is Bix? <laughs> you know, that's an interesting name. I, I've thought about Bix Beterbeck, uh, but I just, you haven't got to that one yet. You know, uh, like, I guess if I buy more tech, I'll, I'll be able to get there. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds to me like you've got a pretty thorough writing system. You know, one, one point I was going to make when you're talking about on the outliner is the ability to export OPML and import that into uh, Scrivener. Have you played with that? Not yet. Um, Scrivener is still learning. I've been using it for th- for three years, but it's still a learning process because there's just so many, so many things you can do with it. Oh, good! I get to share something with Andy and Notco. That makes me okay. feel really good. Okay, so uh, in OP in Omni Outliner, it exports as OPML, which is the the basic kind of lingua franca of of outline formats. And interestingly enough, Scrivener imports that, so you can outline a whole project. I do this all the time. Um, 
uh, in on the outliner and then export it as OPML, then import it into Scrivener, and it creates all of your uh, binder for you, and everything's ready to go. You just start typing. Mm, awesome. Got to try that sometime. It's a it's a pretty cool trick. <laughs> I will very shortly. Okay, we're going to talk about how Andy manages all of his news content, but before we do that, I want to take a break for our second sponsor, One Password. Now, I've always been a big believer in the 1Password software, but I had something happen to me this past week that uh, made me even more of a true believer and started me to reevaluate some of the security methods that I was putting into place and perhaps how I could use some of these methods uh, more effectively. Uh, Bizarre chain of circumstances were still not quite clear how it happened, but my credit card got compromised, and unfortunately it looks like it got compromised by the Apple Store. Um, I made a legitimate purchase on the online Apple store, and then immediately after that legitimate purchase, there was about $1,700 of illegitimate purchases that was rung up almost immediately following. Uh, The thief in question uh, rung up the purchase of a MacBook Pro, an iPod Touch, and Apple Care, so I do certainly have to give them props for having good taste. But after doing some investigation with my bank and with Apple, Um, There was some concern as to not only whether my credit card was compromised, but also whether my Apple account may have been compromised as well. One of the features in 1Password that I just started to use, uh, thanks to David's prodding in our 1Password episode, uh, is the feature that allows it to randomly generate its own passwords. And I'd previously generated my own passwords. Uh, But 1Password will allow you to securely generate uh, completely random passwords of its own that it will then store and remember. And I had been doing that with some of my more secure bank accounts, um, but I hadn't actually gone back and and redone all of my old passwords, which um, in retrospect may have been a mistake. But you're a believer now, aren't you? Oh, yeah, definitely a believer now. Um, so what one password allowed me to do is I was able to uh, type in the search field the password that I used for my now compromised Apple account and at a quick glance see any of the other accounts that I may have that used that same password. And indeed, I found that I had repeated this password on a couple of other accounts, although thankfully nothing that I used very frequently and nothing that was very sensitive. So I immediately knew that I had to never use that password again. I had to assume that it was compromised. And I was able to quickly find those accounts that have the same potentially compromised password and immediately go back and change them to, of course, the new randomly generated 1Password password. So I'm still not quite sure what the point of failure was that caused this breach of my credit card security, but 1Password definitely helped me to identify some other potential angles of attack uh, and make sure that I closed up any holes before um, I got hit any further. Uh, And thankfully, I was able to uh, uh, catch this uh, fraudulent activity on my accounts before any bad things could really happen. Uh, Apple was able to stop the shipment of the software, so they weren't actually out any product. And uh, my bank was able to reverse the charges, so they weren't actually out any product. So got a new credit card, and uh, all seems to be well again. And, you know, the nice thing about 1Password is it makes it just as easy to use a really secure password as a really dumb password. So use the really secure one. And, you know, this is totally unrelated, but did I tell you I got a new MacBook Pro and iPod Touch lately? Really? Yeah, just, just recently. You know, I know someone from the Apple fraud department who may want to talk to you. What do you mean? Okay, let's get back to Andy. Okay. So, Andy, we already know that you write an awful lot, but you probably also have to keep on top of what's going on with the news and do a lot of research for your writing. So how do you manage the onslaught? How do you keep track of everything that's going on in the world around you without 
going crazy and having information overload? Um, mostly Google Reader. Um, I uh, that's another area in which the iPad has become uh, like an important part of the workflow uh, because when I'm eating breakfast, it just seems as though the natural thing to do my reading on is is the iPad rather than uh, on the notebook. Um, thing I I flag certain things, tag certain things to send to delicious. Uh, other things are just clipped and sent to one of like four or five or six different Omni Outliner outlines, just things I want to keep track of. If it's news about a new piece of tech or a, a, a shenanigans for a certain company that I think I, I might want to write about, that's a clipping that goes directly into a special little folder uh, in uh, in, uh, in my Scrivener project file so that when I'm sort of adrift some week and I'm looking for something to write about, it's like, oh, yes, remember that, that cool thing that happened three days ago. Yes, yes, yes. Right about that. Are you yeah, using any kind of um, reader software with it or, or just straight Google Reader in the web? Uh, on the uh, on the desktop and on the notebook, straight Google Reader because I've just never found a desktop app that I just was able to stick with. Something that's, that seemed as though it was in any way faster or more convenient. The only times that I use a desktop reader are uh, the times when I've been in an area that has really, really bad uh, internet access or really expensive internet access, in which case I'll go to the local Kinko's, pay lots of money as opposed to insane amount of money to just have net newswire or whatever, just slurp down news for about 20 or 25 minutes, then disconnect and read it at my, le- at my leisure. Um, the, on the iPad, I seem to be using, uh, uh, just a, a thing I think the app is called newsstand. It's just a very simple RSS reader, uh, for that, uh, I also use NetNewsWire, the iPad version of that. Uh, the difference is that usually when I'm accessing uh, Google Reader on the iPad, I have access to really good internet. Uh, so I don't really like the fact that NetNewsWire doesn't let me selectively just download sections of my Google Reader subscriptions. I really have to just click the refresh button, go away, shower, shave, clean the bathroom, clean the bedroom, make the bed, Clean the sheets, clean the clean the clean the duvet, <laughs> change its pillow cases, vacuum the floor, go out for pancakes, come back from pancakes, and then by the time I'm back from pancakes, it is finished. Up the uh, downloading and updating every single one of my Google Reader subscriptions, even though they're really only about eighteen to twenty that I just were immediately interested in. So that's why I sort of go elsewhere for that sort of stuff usually. Wow. Andy, how many uh, articles do you, or how many subscriptions do you have in your RSS feed, or approximately? Uh, probably less than a thousand, probably about seven to 800, um, of which maybe 500, maybe about four to 500 would be work related. And, you know, I'm a big fan of reader, the one with two E's. I know some people don't like it because it's too minimalist, but, um, yeah, I, I hate it. it. I think it's, oh, done. Okay. <laughs> I think well, it's badly designed. Yeah, well, the, I, I like it, but the, the one thing about that app is it really downloads the feeds fast, I've always felt like. But maybe it's just I don't have that many feeds. I don't, I don't subscribe to that many. I just never thought it was very efficient. I, I, I do like the, I, I would like the faster download speed, though. But when, when, we get to, when you get an interface where I see things, I see six things that I think are buttons, but I can only guess at what one of these things does. You know, when I refresh the feeds and it's filling the screen with sheets of paper with just titles on them and numbers, as opposed to, yeah, well, that's a lot more efficient than just giving me an efficient scrolling list that gives me a really good idea of what I'm looking at and what I want to tap to go next. 
uh, I, I, I do need to spend more time with it because right now it's, this is just like, it, it turned me off after the first 10 minutes. I don't think I really went back to it, but uh, that's, a, that's a bad first impression, man. Yeah. Well, whatever one you like, I'm sure there's somebody out there that's got one that, that um, will update faster than that for you. Cause I, the <laughs> one thing about readers, I've never noticed any noticeable lag in terms of downloading, but like I said, I don't think I have as many subscriptions as you. <laughs> cool. yeah. Now, have you played with Instapaper or one of those other offline reading uh, services? Oh yeah. No, that's, that's uh, that's, that's a big deal for me too. Uh, because the, you just don't have to, usually there, usually I spend most of my time in Google, Google reader, just doing triage, uh, things I really need to read right away or something that will sort of spur me to do something immediately. Uh, stuff that's sort of long form articles. I just want to send it to Instapaper so that I'll have not only a more comfortable reading experience, but also that all the stuff that requires me to be, you know, Pour myself a lovely beverage, lay out the sofa, adjust the pillows just just so, and spend forty five minutes just reading, 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 uh, are all in one place. Uh, I Instapaper is just a miracle, and it's one of the highlight applications for the iPad. It just emphatically states why the iPad and tablet computers like it are such incredibly useful things. You know, I have to admit, if somebody came to me six months ago or whenever before the iPad came out and said, "Look." I've got this thing for you and it's going to put all your Instapaper articles in this nice form factor and it doesn't do anything else and it's 500 bucks. I probably would have bought it. It's just, yeah. it's just amazing. I, I agree. I, I use that all the time. It's, it's great to look at all the ecology of how information is going to be disseminated, downloaded and read. When the Kindle first arrived a couple of years ago, I wasn't even a fan of eBooks at all. I just, all I saw was, a device that costs 250, 260 bucks that comes with a 3G internet connection that is free for life that also has a web browser that can very, very well run the mobile edition of Google Reader on it. And just as a device that, a miraculous device to stick in your back pocket that would always, can always let me read this five, six hundred, a thousand, two thousand blogs uh, that I most importantly need, uh, that sounds like a cheap 260 bucks to me. And that's definitely not something I could have figured on existing five years ago. What are you doing with Delicious? Because that's a, a service that I've always wanted to use more effectively, but yet can't quite figure out how it fits in my workflow. Uh, it fits in that it's, I, I rarely bookmark things locally only because I'm rarely in front of the same machine <laughs> twice over the course of the entire day. Uh, it's just, it just serves as one central place for my, for me to put all of my bookmarks and also just a simple tagging system so that if I need to get something back later on, uh, like uh, I was looking at pieces of, sh uh, pieces of shareware and I, uh, a week later I'm thinking, Oh yeah, wasn't that a really good EPUB creator? It was shareware freeware. I could just do just hit, hit delicious, look for EPUB and there it is. Uh, on top of that, there's just the idea that it's just a, re a simple reverse timeline of everything that I found interesting on the web uh, because I might not necessarily uh, – there, there, there are times when I've got two hours to fill. I've got a column that's due in a week. I don't know what the top is, topic is going to be, and it's simple enough for me to just hit delicious and just rewind everything that I found interesting and worthy of saving uh, over the past two or three weeks. I'll probably find something that as soon as I, I, I've completely forgotten about this article or this piece of information or this link, but as soon as I see it, I Im immediately remember exactly what it was uh, that I really, really liked about it. Uh, and I do have other assets that let me track those sort of things, uh, like Omni Outliner, like Scrivener. But 
there's nothing that lets me do that from every single device that I have in front of me. I mean, if I can't run Omni Outliner on the iPad, then I don't have that sort of notepad available to me. Not for long, though. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Yeah. So, uh, Keynote or PowerPoint? Keynote. Uh, PowerPoint has just never inspired. I, I never became a heavy user of presentation software until Keynote came out. Before that, believe it or not, what I used to use was just QuickTime. Uh, I would just create a slide deck and just toss them into QuickTime and just play it as a slideshow movie from there. Uh, Keynote was the first one that really tapped into the creative process of communicating live on stage through a projector through a, sl- through a set of images. Uh, it just, I, I spent way too much time in PowerPoint figuring out how to make it work the way I wanted it to, as opposed to figuring, thinking about the message that I wanted to tell, the story I wanted to tell. Uh, and so that's, it's, it's, it's been a transforming sort of thing. Yeah. You know, I've kind of been the whole gamut cause I, I do jury trials and I remember the day when I went down to the copier guy and I got these blow ups like, you know, big table size blow ups I'd taken to the courtroom and then they came out with PowerPoint and then it became death by PowerPoint. And now we're on keynote. And I think that just the way keynote renders fonts, the way it, it's so user friendly in developing presentations. And I know that PowerPoint's made a lot of progress in the years past kind of catching up, but uh, keynote to me is just heads and shoulders above. And uh, all the speaking I do, everybody I know that, that uses a Mac that does speaking, I've never met a single person that did their presentations with PowerPoint. Yeah, that was, that was a that was a pretty quick win, <laughs> that very very quick victory that Apple scored there. Um, pages they they haven't done pretty badly with the Pages app either, but uh, Keynote as soon as it appeared on the scene, it just decimated PowerPoint. The only people that I know that still use PowerPoint use it because that's part of the rules for their company that you cannot use anything other than PowerPoint for your presentation files. Exactly, and, and you know, it, it's like it's terrible when you take a. Um, a keynote presentation, you export it to PowerPoint. It, it just, you know, <laughs> um, it's like you ruin it. Wings. You know, yeah. I can't stand the, the, the that, that's still the one disappointment that I have with the iPad that, Oh, I, I wish I knew why there wasn't an easier way to take a presentation that I've completed on my, on my MacBook uh, and put it on my iPad and make sure that I know that that's going to reproduce exactly the same way on the iPad as on my MacBook. Because just the ability to get the same sort of fonts going on, uh, that's the one feature that I desperately, desperately need. As is, I don't even feel as though, uh, if I have the choice between being limited to the very the, 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 the same sort of standard presentation fonts that you have on the iPad available through Keynote, and simply going through your slides, honing your, pre- your presentation, locking down that presentation, deciding that I'm not going to make any changes to this presentation from this point onward, and then on the desktop just export them as a series of JPEGs, you know, just a, as something that you can simply drop into as a series of pictures as a slideshow and running your presentation that way from the iPad. That's the way I'd rather do it because I'm too big a fan of... Uh, I, I, I don't like the idea of coming in and saying, well, here's, here's, all, here's 10, 10 slides with Helvetica on them. Uh, and I've got a picture on there that kind of is in the right place, but not quite the right place. I'd much rather have it look, I'd much rather have it locked down uh, into one format, but it's the format exactly the way that I wanted it to be. Well, that's, you should expect that when you're going to speak, you want it to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, uh, especially as an Apple thing, there should be a way to do that, but oh well. 
you know, I'm not really sure how it fits. I've done some presentations off the iPad, but none of them have been, you know, big money presentations. You know, I did one for my kids' school and I, I've done them for clients in the office. But uh, when I've got, you know, 12 California, you know, licensed drivers in a jury box, the Mac uh-huh. comes out. So, right. Uh, we'll see where it goes. I think it's going to be, you know, when the hardware improves and I, I'm, I'm sure inevitably it'll get better, but I don't know if it'll ever catch up to be honest. Yeah. I'm, I'm working on different kinds of hacks to get different fonts inside. I, I have developer status so I can get access to uh, certain directories inside the iPad. Uh, and I just, if, if all I could, if all I can do is just use these three fonts that I like in keynote that would do it for me that would take care of it for me but as as it is i, I am willing to compromise a little bit uh, like i'm giving a uh, giving a talk to a chicago user group next week and there's just no reason whatsoever for me to take uh for my macbook with me uh be, and be, given that it's a it's going to be you know like a three-hour flight i'm certainly going to be taking my ipad with me to read and entertain myself with if the only reason why I'm taking this this five pound notebook and all the things you need to keep a five pound notebook working for three days is just so that I could do this one presentation and have the fonts I want on it, oh dear, that's just such a big big failure for Apple. Yeah, agreed, agreed. You know, the one thing though that the, the iPad keynote is really good, I find, is in small meetings with a few people, and I've got to the point where I just hand off the iPad to the person I'm with because the deck is already kind of built. And I let them kind of flip through as I talk through it. And it, you know, it goes back to all that research on, you know, visual versus audio learning. And I think it's, it's really helpful for that. And it's a more intimate experience. And it doesn't make sense to get the projector out when you just got two or three people in the room. So th- there's definitely space for it. But I, I would agree with you that for serious presentations, you're, you're going to need your Mac. Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about your to-do list. I guess you kind of do that through Omni Outliner. It sounds like you kind of build it on the fly as you go. Yeah, because I've just never found a, a structured program that was, wasn't was more trouble than it was actually worth. Because I don't need another to-do item on my on my workflow for the day to be learn how to get things working in this in this program. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, got, I, was, I, got, I, I was first introduced to OmniFocus uh, on the by, by Steve himself on the on the Macworld show floor, and he demonstrated it over like a half an hour, and it looked like the most incredible thing ever. Because well, it should because he he wrote the thing, and so I get I I get home and I start saying well, I'm I'm gonna I should really use a, a project management app. This is exactly the right. It works great. It's very Mac like. It's an Omni Omni product. It's gonna be great. And so the I type in the first thing that I need I, I need to keep track of like the, a to do list item for the next day, and they say okay, and then. I'll just tap into the search box. That will get me that to-do item back. No. Oh, okay, what if I look for this label? No. Okay, what if I look for everything that I put in today? No. And then, oh, goodness, I'm talking to people who have used it, and they're telling me about how, well, the problem is that you didn't provide a context for the, con- for the to-do item. What you have to think about it is, is it an outside thing or an inside thing? Is it a banking thing or is it a, oh, God, do I really have to? Do I really have to like build a robot from scratch just to remember to buy asparagus spears tomorrow? Uh, <laughs> and and that's really the thing that I was going. I've been going through with every single one of these apps. Uh, and as as usual, I, uh, as usual, I'll just keep sticking with the Omni Outliner uh, scheme until I find a system that works better. Just like I had to stick with Word until I found Scrivener. You know, it's funny. I I'm a big Omni Focus user, and you know, I've written a lot about it. We even did a show on that as well. And and I get 
emails from people all the time saying, well, you know, Dave, this is just too much and the learning curve's so, too steep. And I, I completely get that. And I think uh, what I have to remind people is that when I was in law school, my to-do list was a napkin. And every morning I wrote three things on it. And when I went to bed, I looked at it and then I wiped my mouth on my to-do list and I, you know, I was done, you know. So depending on, on what you do, uh, it probably is overkill for a lot of people. So you just got to figure out what works for you. But Yeah, the uh, iPad app is great, though. I- Anyway, so uh, anyway. En- enough of my rambling about Omni Outliner and Omni Focus. I mean, I, I think it really just depends on your particular needs. And it sounds to me like you found something that works for you, and that's all that matters. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, there's no – it's the same thing when people try to get me to tell, talk about the, uh, the iPhone versus Android versus their three-year-old Samsung phone that they've had. Uh, they've had. Uh, whatever works fine, unless you find a, when you find the right thing, you'll immediately instinctively know that this is exactly the solution you've been waiting for, for the, for however long. Uh, and I've just never been motivated by that, uh, for by any of the uh, project managers I've seen, but Hey, here's hoping. No, I think that says something about a lot of Apple users. I think, you know, we get made fun of for the walled garden and everything, but, uh, you know, looking back on it, the reason I use Apple products is just because they work and I can get get my work done. And uh, that's just not true with some of the, my other uh, computer experience. So, uh, you know, it works. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. I have no allegiance to Apple. Uh, I, my favorite phone was a Windows mobile smartphone uh, until the iPhone came out. And then, boy, did I drop that immediately. Uh, so the the moment that uh, that anybody creates a really good Android phone, I'll be dropping my iPhone immediately too. Yeah, I think one of my favorite computers I ever had was a Tandy. It was I think it was called WP one hundred. It was just a model one hundred. WP they made a WP one hundred and a model one hundred. It had it, a, it was black and it had five WP. lines. Yeah, you remember that one? Oh yeah, the great word processor. I got all through law school on that thing. I think, that's, I think that's one of the reasons why I like, uh, I, I never used it as an actual, uh, I, I never actually used it as a word processor, as a day-to-day word processor, because uh, that was a little bit before my time. Uh, but uh, I think one of the, I always had a lot of affection for it. And I think the reason why I like using the on-screen keyboard on the iPad so much is that it just looks so much like having an old Model 100. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I guess you wouldn't even call it a word processor. It really was just a big, that's maybe where my love affair with text started, because yeah. you just get a big text file out of it and then you plugged it in with these big cables to your computer and then you could download it in and you're you're off to the races but it's great all right this is probably a good time to take our final break of the show today for our last sponsor naval labs maker of the pomodoro timer and the read more applications i'm really excited about this pomodoro timer i know that uh, a lot of people think i'm nuts about this tomato timer but it is a great productivity technique the pomodoro timer is a uh, Naval Labs app for your iPhone. They've got now the iPhone 4 uh, multitasking built in and they've got the retina display so it looks great. But I find myself uh, on days where I'm having trouble getting anything done at work, uh, just cranking that Pomodoro timer to 25 minutes and just promising myself, okay, the next 25 minutes is going to be productive. And it runs in the background. I don't let myself get distracted. And after 25 minutes, take a five-minute break. And that's uh, that's all it's really about. Uh, the nice thing about the Pomodoro timer, though, is you can also crank it up a little higher. Uh, the app is not limited to just the 25-minute increments. It's $0.99. Cents. Um, they've uh, continued to uh, support the show. I really would like you to go give them a shot. If you're interested in getting yourself uh, more productive at work or whatever it is you need to get done, uh, uh, 
Check it out in the App Store, Pomodoro Timer by Naval Labs. Another one of their apps that I use is called Read More. And one of my New Year's resolutions, and we're a little more than halfway through the year now, uh, is to read more. And especially now that school has started back, and believe me, the traffic has started back up, so I've noticed it, uh, hopefully your kids are starting to read a little more as well. So perhaps now is the time. uh, If you're sending them back to school with that brand new iPod Touch or iPhone, you can also load up this app on their phone so they can start keeping track and maybe having a little more fun keeping track of their reading, which will prompt them to read a little more. So what Read More does is it gives you just that little kick of motivation that you need um, to to try and, and track in all of the books that you want to read or if you've got to finish a book for a class deadline. Uh, it will kind of give you an idea of where you are with the books and if you stay on the same pace when your estimated time to finish the book is. Do you need to pick up the pace? Or um, can you maybe skip a night? But you you enter all the information about the book in. It's got a beautiful interface. And then anytime you pick up the book to read it, you flip open the timer. And let's face it, you always have your iPhone or your iPod Touch with you. Uh, and you just start the timer and it goes. It will keep all the information about your reading sessions. It will predict when you finish the book. You can jot down notes about your reading session if you want. You can take a look back at all of your reading history. You can even export the data if you want. Uh, And the developer even has more reporting features and statistics planned in the future. And let's face it, we're geeks. We like to chart and graph and get all the statistics out of things that we want. So uh, if you're looking to read more, if you want your kids to read more, uh, you should check out this app. It's $1.99 in the App Store. Read More by Naval Labs. And you can find all of their information, all of their great apps at naval-labs.com. So, Andy, let's talk about everything else now. What are all of those little apps that you run every day that just make life on the Mac work for you? I don't have a whole lot of little apps. Um, most of them are just, I, I, spend, I spend most of the time just, you know, on the tractor, you know, plowing, plowing the field, getting in the harvest, spraying the crops. Uh, the other th- besides Omni Outliner, the only things that uh, I'm, I'm I, right now I've just I've done, I've, I've actually just uh, 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 popped up my application switcher to see what else I actually have running right now, uh, and I'm using Sigil a lot, which is a really good EPUB editor, uh, both for the because the iPad has become not the center of my life, but the moon that sort of orbits the center of my life. Now it becomes more and more important to have really good versions of uh, e-text to put on it. And so I keep converting more and more stuff uh, to uh, to e-text. Uh, I've also been uh, using Stanza for that sort of thing. Uh, it's a really good, simple EPUB reader and, and electronic document converter. Uh, but I find that when something becomes important enough that I'm actually referring to it a lot, I won't just do the one-step process of converting it uh, with Stanza. I'll just drop it into Sigil where I can drop in a little bit more formatting and make it a little bit more complicated. Uh, the I'm using I use Automator a lot because the, anything that requires more than three steps at some point I think has to become an Automator workflow so it gets done automatically. Uh, I do use Evernote a little bit, not as much as I would like to because it's such a cool app. Uh, but when it comes to synchronizing little bits of text and little bits of information across every device that you have, I think Evernote is still at the top. Uh, I, when I'm in heavy, heavy project mode, I'll use a bare bones Yojimbo, uh, which is much, much better. It's a much more muscular version of Evernote. 
because it's, it will take any entity that you have anywhere on your machine, be it like a 10 megabyte PDF or a simple phone number uh, and give you a place you can just trivially drop it off and then uh, synchronize it to, excuse me, and then access it as one big congealed library. Um, I think in the future, they're, they, I hope that they're going to be coming out with uh, apps that let you access that sort of stuff via the iPad. Until then, Evernote is really uh, running that that feature, running that service for me uh, 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 on the on, on my mobile devices. And I'm embarrassed to say that a lot of the stuff that I use most often are utilities that are just built into the OS. Uh, like Keychain Access is an app that I use a lot, uh, not only to store secure passwords, but also just to store secure notes. One uh, Password is a really good third-party utility, but it hasn't really screamed out to me that it's something I desperately need to have for secure storage, especially given the keychain access can store those little bits of text, those, you know, those insurance policy numbers, those important phone numbers. I just need to make sure that I have access to all the time uh, without, uh, without making it too much of a worry about it. So I, I guess I'm just not very much of a, uh, a little doodaddy app sort of guy for, some, for whatever reason. Let's, let's yeah, I'm talk a constant about- noodler. I can't stop myself. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about syncing. Um, you touched on a little bit with with Evernote and Yojimbo and and Dropbox, but can you put that whole larger picture together for us? Because it sounds like Dropbox is how you do a lot of file sharing, uh, and Evernote and Yojimbo is how you keep a lot of this, let's just call it this miscellaneous stuff, in sync. But beyond that, are you using MobileMe to keep your iDevices in sync, and, and how are you keeping the stuff between your multiple Macs in sync? Uh, there's very little that needs to be synced across every single desktop. Uh, as uh, meaning, meaning so that uh, uh, so that it doesn't matter what machine I'm behind. Uh, Dropbox is what I use for files. Mobile Me just makes it so easy to make sure that all your calendar stuff and your uh, address book stuff is synced from desktop to desktop to desktop and device. Uh, so I rely on that. I rarely use Mobile Me for things like file syncing and photo syncing, uh, but I, I don't think that the iPhone would be as nearly as useful uh, for that kind of day-to-day management if not for the fact that uh, not for the fact that as soon as I pick up my iPhone and just jot down an appointment it immediately becomes part of the cloud that's act, that's in sync to every single machine that I have uh, I, it, really the combination of the iPhone and the mobile me was the first time that I really hunkered down and formalized my appointment calendar uh, in any meaningful way before then I would just simply uh, use a series of emails where almost everything that I would set up as an appointment would at some point be in the form of an email, like a, a flight confirmation or, okay, I'll meet you at the, this restaurant at, at 6 p.m. Uh, and so I would always, I, w- I was able to sort of keep track of everything that was going on. And uh, when Friday rolls around, I'll just do a search for the, the location of the restaurant where the meeting is going to be. Uh, it wasn't until Mobile Me acted as that really transparent glue between the iPhone and everything else that I became a rule that, you know, don't let it go even one second. As soon as something's on the calendar, it goes onto the iPhone or it goes into iCal because that's the only way that's going to be tracked. Right. So your uh, documents folder just basically uh, just live in your Dropbox? Uh, some of it does. The, whatever the, the mo- an active live project usually lives in Dropbox. Uh, the documents folder of uh, Lilith is usually where everything tends to live. Um, one of the, just, uh, just as an example, it's one of the reasons why, uh, if, um, if I'm traveling somewhere to give a presentation and it's 95% there, but it's not a hundred percent there, 
that means that I definitely have to take uh, Lilith with me, not because I need the extra features of Keynote, but because the documents folder contains like two, three, four, five years worth of stuff. Uh, it's no joke that every time that what, part of this part of the transition ceremony from the previous Lilith to the next one is just the ceremonial dragging of the documents folder from the old machine into the new hard drive. Uh, and there are files there that go all the way back to the 90s. Uh, not everything that I've ever written, but everything of any, subs- of any substance or any importance to me uh, is on that drive. Uh, I'm a little bit uh, worried about putting everything that I have inside the cloud because I use a pretty secure password uh, with Dropbox and I have a little reminder to change it often but it's not impossible for me to think that someone's going to try to brute force it. And if they got access to that and had access to it for just a few hours, they could download pretty much the entire store. And I just don't like that. Um, that's one of the reasons why I don't even, I, I do consider the Android operating system for the phone, for phones to be at a disadvantage because there's absolutely no way to move, uh, no simple way to move contacts and calendars from your desktop onto the phone without storing it in Google's uh, servers first. And I don't think that should be a necessary glue between the two. If someone wants to just keep it private between uh, your desktop, your iPhone, and this USB cable, that should be their prerogative. It should not, they should not force you to use Google calendars uh, to, uh, to, uh, uh, to uh, just put information onto your phone. So that's why for Dropbox, I tend to put stuff that's important or stuff that I just need to make sure that I have access to from one machine to another. Um, I have a, a secure storage for things that are deemed offsite backup, but even then, it's not as an open file. It's inside a secure disk image file. Sure, just built-in Mac OS X, the secure disk image exactly. file. Like I hate he sounds so boring, but uh, or, or sound like such an advertisement for Mac OS X. But it's like, why use a third party utility for security when 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 disk utility can build you a secure disk image of any size you want, secured within DAS standards? Like, oh dear. No, but you know, it, it makes sense. I mean, we've got these great computers, and a lot of times we get hung up on looking for you know what's the best solution when it's right in front of us. Exactly. Um. So. With all this data, though, you must have a pretty robust backup system. I hope. Yeah, I yeah, exactly. Uh, you never. It's every backup solution is a stress to failure sort of setup where you will never find the cracks in it until it breaks. Uh, so uh, there's everything is copied to three different places. Uh, usually, to for instance, everything on Lilith. Uh, I'd have to think about. It. I think I. Uh, in addition to its local stores, there's also an external hard drive that gets that gets it gets backed up to uh, just as a complete disk image on either a daily or a semi-daily basis. Everything that's important also just transparently gets backed up to a Drobo uh, that's also on the network. Uh, and then things that are super important will probably get two other copies made, uh, both burned onto a DVD and stored offsite in in cloud storage. Um, Anything that I'm when I'm traveling, it gets a little bit more paranoid. That's when I will create a virtual, uh, virtual USB key uh, on Dropbox, and will contain any file that's going to be important to me. That will totally change my week if I arrive in San Francisco and this file does not arrive with me. That's a very, very bad start to the week. Uh, so that's why, I, in that case, I will definitely make sure that I put a secure copy of of it 
uh, on my Dropbox to make sure that it'll make the trip with me. That started off when I went to came to MacWorld uh, day one. I, I suffered a total grand mal hard drive crash, and it was in the long run it was wasn't a big problem because I had a complete backup that was just a day old. Uh, but the thing is, though, the backup of the of the three presentations I was going to give were now three thousand miles away in Boston, and I, here I am in San Francisco. So I had to reconstruct everything from from scratch, and I decided that no, we're not going to let that happen again. So that's when I started relying on USB keys and cloud storage uh, for important files. You know, this sounds terrible, but I'm I'm so glad that happened to you because <laughs> I think about that now every time I do a presentation. And usually for me, I'm finishing the presentation sometime in the wee hours of the night before I give it because there's always some more work to be done on it. And it's so yeah. easy to say I could just go home and my bed would be so warm right now. But instead, I always stop and I think about Andy and Notco at Macworld that year. <laughs> and, and I uh, get the thumb drive out and I make the QuickTime version and put it on a disk and then I get my daughter's MacBook and put it in the trunk just in case. <laughs> By the time I get to court or wherever I'm going, um, uh, it would take quite a catastrophe for me not to be able to give a presentation. But uh, So thank you for that, that life lesson, my friend. Your vision is clearer for the tears that I have shed. Always <laughs> glad to hear that. <laughs> well, you know, I think we've covered uh, most of uh, the workflow, the typical workflow stuff we have. Are there any gems we haven't covered that, uh, that you'd like to share with us? Uh, only that... You don't want to be one of these people, especially if you're a writer, you don't want to be one of these people who gets hung up on process or gets hung up on tools. Uh, the job of being a writer is just moving that cursor to the right as, as, as much as long during the day as possible. Uh, so I think that, that's, that that philosophy is sort of the reason why uh, when people ask me what tools I use, it's a pretty short list. Um, I'm, I'm always impressed when I see people who have that three screen layout and they've got the special like kvm switch for so they can multitask from keyboard and a mouse through five different sort of machines and there's one for each different purpose and i'm thinking how much time during the week do you have to spend to keep all this running and making sure that all your data is where you expect it to be um the the, the great thing about technology is that it tends to it tends to reward you for being lazy uh, I, I, I wish that I were the sort of person who kept everything in nice, organized, tidy little folders. But it turned out that if I just simply waited for Spotlight to come, come along, I could just create a smart folder that would automatically, automatically reflect the contents of every single Sun-Times column that I've touched in the past week. Uh, so just focus on the work. Never let be a distraction. Distractions are easy enough to come by with both Twitter and the web as it is. Good advice always. I think that's good advice, and I think on that, I think we'll uh, end the, the workflows interview. Uh, now, Andy, uh, tell us about you a little bit so uh, people can find you on Twitter. And uh, what's your Twitter name again? Uh, I'm Anatko on Twitter, uh, I-H-N-A-T-K-O. Uh, the reason – my, my name's kind of hard to spell. That's why I, uh, I have a website with a blog and links to my Twitter feed, my Flickr feed, and that sort of stuff, uh, at com. But – because no one can spell it, I also created cwob.com, the Andionatko's Celestial Waste of Bandwidth. And the purpose of that site is just pretty much just direct people towards the site that they can't spell. Yes, and you're also on the Sun-Times. Uh, and there is an RSS feed for just your articles. It took me a while to figure out where it was, <laughs> but I did find it. Uh, revamping <laughs> of the site is coming soon, hopefully. <laughs> you know, if I can figure out a way, I'm going to put that in the show notes so people can just, just get your articles that way. Great. And then uh, you got any new books or anything you want to talk about? 
Uh, I'm there's a couple of projects that I'll I'll be making a big I'm going to be making a big announcement in the next few weeks, but unfortunately nothing I can announce right now. Uh, those of you who have been waiting to hear what I read to hear three or four or five hundred pages for me about the iPad will not have long to wait, and there'll be more after that. Well, you know what? I'm going to be first in line. I can't wait to read it and uh, <laughs> awesome. learn all your tricks because you mm-hmm. you, uh, you really are a great writer and uh, just a, a fantastic. Uh, read every time I read your stuff. Like I said, you just inject so much humor and fun into it. It's just a joy. Again, hard to be sad with the sort of job that I have. It's it's a great privilege to spend all your day immersed in technology and just being paid for hopefully intelligent opinions. Well, I think well, they and, definitely Andy, are. I'd like to thank you once again for being a workflow guest on the Mac Power Users. We really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for coming by. Well, thanks for having me, David. Thanks, Katie. Thanks for thanks for having, being patient through all the different uh, all the different problems we've been having. Oh, it was well worth it. All right, David. Well, it was certainly fun having Andy hang out with us. Um, we were supposed to do a show on Keynote tonight, but obviously, when Andy Anatko comes knocking, you don't say no. Yeah, and uh, the Keynote show is still uh, in development anyway, so we've got some good bits to add to it, and we've talked a little bit about Keynote tonight, so that gives you a nice little warm up. So I guess we'll be doing that one in a couple of weeks, right? We will tackle Keynote in a couple of weeks. But um, obviously, when the opportunity presented itself, we wanted to make sure that we got the the uh, workflows with Andy and Notco uh, episode recorded. And I, I think people will be really excited about that. But um, where can they find? We, got, we, we covered a lot of information, and I think we're going to have some pretty extensive show notes. So we should probably talk about where they can find all of that on our website. You want to go to the MacPowerUsers.com and episode 33, we're going to have show notes with links to a lot of the stuff we talked about tonight. Yeah, that's at www.MacPowerUsers.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at, uh, at MacPowerUsers. And if you have any comments that you want to share about the show, you can either leave it on the website or you can email us at feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. And we do have a bit of feedback uh, from the last few shows. We're going to be adding that to the next show. Since we went long on this one, we're going to be putting the feedback in the keynote show. Uh, but if you've got something to add to the conversation we had with Andy, make sure to leave a comment on the website. That way other people can enjoy it and read it. And uh, last but not least, if you have a few moments, if you like this type of format, uh, if you found this type of show useful, drop us a line in iTunes. Uh, if you click on the link on our website to iTunes, uh, you can leave us a comment, and comments are great ways in iTunes for us to gain more exposure. More exposure means more listeners. More listeners means we can do all kinds of great, new, and fun, exciting things with the podcast. So uh, if you get a few minutes, we really appreciate those iTunes comments, and we just get all kinds of warm, fuzzy feelings. Thanks for sticking with us through another Workflows episode, and we'll see you next time when we talk about keynote.